Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. This morning is the second message on a series called Great Love, the Great Love of God. And I know it seems like, oh, you're going to teach on love. I've heard that before. I don't think you've heard exactly what we're teaching on this morning. And can I tell you, this morning is a prophetic message. It's a message that I know came straight from the Lord. The Lord shared it with me about three months ago, and I know it was for today. But I want us to, first of all, open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you can put a finger there and also open your Bibles to John chapter 8. To Ephesians chapter 2 and John chapter 8. And in Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to read this out loud and read this loudly. Ephesians 2 verse 4 and verse 5. I'm reading it out of the NIV version. So if you don't have that version, you could look up on the screen. And let's just read it out loud and let's read it loudly and fill this house with the voice of God's word today. Can we read together? Ready? Read. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. How do we know what the love of God looks like? Sometimes, you know, because God's an invisible God, and we say, well, I know, you know, God's great love. Love is a feeling. Love, you can't really put... um, You can't really put a measurement on love. But let me tell you, if we were to look at one place in history of where we can see God's love, it would be this. Love looks like Jesus. Love looks like Jesus. And you could fill that in right there on your, the blank. Love looks like Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, why are you looking for the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, And verse 3, it says that Jesus is the express image of the person of God. In other words, if you want to see what God looks like, you can look at Jesus the way that Jesus loved people, the way that Jesus healed people, the way that Jesus treated people, the way that Jesus took care of people, and you can say, that's a representation of the way that God is in my life. And I want to show you a scripture this morning in a passage in the book of John chapter 8, and it's a story about the way that Jesus treated people. And the title of my message today is called Uncondemning Love. Can you say uncondemning? Love. What is uncondemning? It means I don't condemn. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the uncondemning love of God. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts. Show us more about Jesus. Show us more about the love of God today, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 2. In fact, I'd like for you to read uh, these these, uh, 10 verses together, all together. Would you look at your screens and let's read together. Ready? Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when he had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, everyone. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Say that last part again. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm talking this morning about uncondemning love. This is God's response to people in sin. Let me tell you why I believe that this is a pivotal message this morning. Is because we're about to move locations from this location into a different part of town. And in a different part of town, anytime you go into a new neighborhood, you walk in, you're learning about the neighborhood, you're learning about the people in the neighborhood, and I, I want to tell you the posture that Jesus, the Lord of the church, is asking us to take. He's going to instruct us this morning through his word. Uncondemning love. Number one is love, listen, protects publicly. Love protects publicly. Jesus looked and said, where are your accusers, woman? Where are the people who are putting you down and calling you out and spotlighting you? This is the relationship Jesus is saying between you and between them. John 8, 3, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. And when they noticed, set her in the midst. What did they do? They wanted to put her on spotlight. They wanted to put her right in the middle and said, let's have a conversation about this person and their sin. Because you know, it's always easy to get the conversation off of yourself and onto someone else. See, when we get the conversation onto someone else and say, hey, what do, you, what do you think about Bill? What do you think about what he did? What do you think about his, his, uh, his life? What do you think about the decisions that he made? See, when we do that, we get the attention off of us and onto them. They said that they brought this woman who was caught in adultery and they set her in the midst and they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. They put her on display and they said she was caught on tape, so to speak. I mean, this wasn't just a rumor about this woman, what she did behind closed doors. No, this is what we saw behind open doors. I mean, this woman was caught in the very act. It says in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But notice this, what do you say? See, they were in a crowd of people and they put this individual life on display so that everybody could talk about her sin. They said, what do you think about her? What do you say? They weren't just asking Jesus privately. They were asking him to make a public statement. They wanted Jesus to make a public statement about this woman's sin. Now, obviously, you read in the book of Moses, Jesus isn't going to say that the book of Moses, you know, that he doesn't believe in that. And even in the New Testament, you read, you know, the Bible says the works of the flesh are evident. And he goes on and says adultery and fornication and anger and all these kinds of things, the works of the flesh. So it's not that Jesus didn't know and think, huh, I wonder if that's a sin or not. 
No, they were asking Jesus to make a public statement of, of a person caught in adultery so that, so that he, they could see, what do you think? What are you going to say about this woman? But notice in verse 6 it says, but they said this, testing him. Can you say testing him? That they might have something which to accuse him. Notice they were accusing the woman, but they were really trying to accuse Jesus. When sometimes when people are asking for public statements, they don't want to know what you think. They want to put you on display too. So they said, let's put this woman on display, but I want to know what you think because really we want to put you on display, the word says. But Jesus, notice, he stooped down, wrote in the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. He acted like he didn't hear. He didn't answer the statement. Now they asked for, hey, we want to do an interview on what, what do you think about this woman? And he just kind of acted like he didn't hear. What did he do? Did he answer? He didn't answer. Did he have an answer? He had an answer. He knew, but he acted like he didn't hear. Jesus didn't feel any pressure to make public statements. Jesus didn't feel any pressure to make public statements. Some may feel that they need to call out sin everywhere they see it. Jesus didn't. Did Jesus know that she was in sin? He did. But he didn't think that it was appropriate for him to sit and talk about her sin that she was just caught in. Some people feel that pressure, but not Jesus. Verse 7 says, so when they continued, notice, when they continued asking him, Jesus wouldn't give a statement. When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, listen, not, let's not talk about the woman, let's talk about you. Could you imagine that? A reporter comes up and says, what do you think about the situation? You say, let's talk about your situation for a minute. Kind of turned it around on the reporter. Let's not talk about this woman right now. Let's talk about you and your life. Isn't that just how Jesus works? It says, so when they continued asking him, he raised up and he said, he is without sin among you. He's speaking to a crowd. Let him throw the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the, in the ground. He said, you want to know my statement? Every one of you are sinners. That's the statement. And what did they do? <laughs> they dropped the mic. And they walked away. Jesus is not about to call you out in front of a bunch of people who are trying to accuse you. He loves you too much. He's not trying to embarrass you. He's not trying to make a public statement so that he can look like someone who knows what he's talking about. He's not insecure like that, but I think sometimes we can be insecure like that and feel like if someone asks us a question, we always need to answer that question. Sometimes the best answer is not to answer anything. Protects publicly. The love of God protects people publicly. He was without sin. Let him throw a stone at her. He didn't talk about her. He talked about them. Verse 9. Then those who heard it, notice, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the last. Notice, and Jesus was left alone. He wasn't alone by himself. He was alone with the woman. One-on-one -on -one with the woman. He didn't talk about the woman, but he did talk to the woman. Someone needs to hear that this morning. He didn't talk about the woman, but he did talk to the woman. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? What was he saying? I'm not on their team. 
Where are the people who are standing up against you and wanting to talk about you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. Lord, what did she call Jesus? Lord, no one. They called him teacher. She called him Lord. No one, Lord. Jesus backs off the enemy. Do you know in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. People who want to get over on the side of, say, of starting to accuse people and say things about people and put people down and, because it's, it's sin, it's right. It's the right thing to do. The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. In uh, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you will prosper. Notice, And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is for me, says the Lord. What is he saying? I'll stand up for you when people talk down to you. I'll stand up for you when people are putting you down. God does not like, God does not let someone from another family discipline his kids. God does not let someone from another family discipline his kids. I'm not foreign to kids. We have four kids, and I can tell you sometimes we'll be out in public, especially when they were growing up, and one of my kids, you know, Tiffany would say, hey, I want you to do this, such and such, and they'd, and they'd say, no. And she'd say, oh, oh, maybe you didn't hear me. I said you need to quit acting this way and get over here and come. But I want the gum before we check out. No, 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 you're not going to get the gum. But I want the gum. And she, you know, leans down and whispers a little threat. <laughs> if you don't get your little butt in the, the cart, I'm going to give you more than the gum when we get home, Right? See, she's letting, she's correcting privately. But I'll tell you, what if a stranger right behind us came up and said, you know what, do you want me to spank him for you? Do you want me to take care of that kid for you? What would mom do? Mom would turn around and say, you better try it or I'll knock you out. Right? What is she doing? She's saying, you're not going to correct my kids. I'll take care of my kids at home. You just mind your own business. God doesn't allow other people to correct his kids. Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's not that the kids aren't going to get correction, but they're not going to get it from you. They're going to get it from mom. They're going to get it from dad. They're going to get it from someone who raised them up and has committed their life to them, given their life to them, is committed to them. They have different, other people have different intentions. They have different motives. And Father God will back them off. Jesus will back them off. In fact, in, in today's reading uh, it's actually in two places in today's reading. One is in First uh, Chronicles, another was in Psalm chapter one hundred five, verse uh, fifteen. It says, "Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm." Listen, God tells people, "Don't touch people who are anointed, and don't touch people who are prophets. Do them no harm." It's not that they're not going to get corrected and touched, but God says, "You don't touch them; they're mine. I'll correct them. You leave them alone." And you pray to me, and I'll make sure to take care of things. But you don't touch them. You do my prophets 
no harm. This is the heart of the Lord. He doesn't let other people correct his kids. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14, out of the NIV, David did something wrong. And they, he was kind of given three options for punishment and said, well, you could take door A, door B, or door C, you know, on your punishment. And listen what he chose, because David knew the heart of God. He said here, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. <laughs> and he said here, let us fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? Because his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of human hands. Why? People are ruthless. You may be the one accusing someone else today, but tomorrow you're going to be up on the platform. People are ruthless. Do not let me fall into human hands. You don't discipline your kids publicly. That's a private matter. I remember when I was probably about seven or eight years old. I lived in Long Beach, California. And there was a kid. My, my, I have two older brothers, okay, and we had BB guns. You all know what BB guns are, and they, uh, they were fun. We'd shoot things. We'd shoot, you know, we'd like, they'd go along on the bike, and we'll see if we can target practice and stuff. We didn't have video games. That was our video games, okay? We were kind of like human. Now, it, now I'm, I'm not advocating any shootings or violence or anything like that, but we, you know, we had BB guns, okay? And so I remember, though, that there was a kid, and the kid was uh, real mean to me, and he lived kind of not across the street, but about four, four doors down across the street, and he was real mean, and he would pop off and say things and such, and so I just thought one day, hey, well, I'm going to go get my BB gun. He was kind of going down the street, and I, I just, I learned to shoot a little bit, and I pop, pop, and I popped him a couple in the leg, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I just thought, hey, you know, that's right. <laughs> get back down to your house, right? Because <laughs> I had older brothers, and so, I, you know, I wasn't, wasn't trying to hurt him, and now I know you can say you can shoot your eye out. I didn't know that. I didn't see the movie. I didn't, any of that, and my parents worked a lot, so that, that was our fun, okay? That was our video game, so I shot the neighbor a couple times, okay? So then... <laughs> It was later that evening, later that evening, um, uh, I was sitting in the house, and my dad came home from work. My dad was a big dude, and he came home from work. He, he worked uh, there in Long Beach, and, and I remember, uh, uh, you know, he's making dinner. My mom's making dinner or something there and there, and, I'm, and I hear a knock on the door. And this guy, he opens up, you know, my dad opens the door, and the guy says, do you have a son named David? He said, well, I sure do. You know my dad, sure do. Your son shot my son. He said, he did what? Your son shot my son. I want to talk to your son. My dad said, you hold on just a minute. And he closed the door. He walked over. Did you shoot somebody today? You know, that's not really the question you'd ask all the time. Did you shoot someone today with a BB gun? I said, oh, dad, oh, you know, I, had, <laughs> I was freaked out. Yeah, he wants to talk to you at the front door. Who, who wants to talk to me? His dad. Well, I knew his dad. I never talked to him before, but he had a big beard, and he was scary. You know, kids don't trust men with beards. I'm kidding. <laughs> but they had, he had a big beard, like one of those Duck Dynasty beards before Duck Dynasty was in, okay? But, uh, and I remember he was at the front door, and, and, and I, and I, I kind of looked out, and I thought, oh, he's going to kill me. And my dad said, my dad said, hey, here's, here's the option. Either you go talk to him, and take care of it and apologize, or I'll talk to him, and then you could take it up with me. And guess what I chose? Now, my dad, he, he didn't believe, he believed in spankings, whoopings, beatings, whatever you want to call them. 
And this wasn't a little swat on the little touch on the hide. That's what, that's what he did. No, my dad didn't read the books. Now, now he loved us. He didn't abuse us. Maybe a little. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you, when he gave me the option, do you want me to take care of him or do you want to go talk to him? I said, Dad, you talk to him. I'll deal with you. Why? Because I knew my dad. He may spank me. But, I, but, I, but he loved me, took care of me. And I remember my dad went and talked to him. The guy said, I want to talk to your son. He said, you're not going to talk to my son. You can talk to me. And the guy, you know, the guy said, well, I want to talk to your son. He said, this is all the talking you're going to get. You can talk to me. I'll take care of my son. I promise he won't do it again. And I don't know what he told the guy, but the guy left, and I never, ever saw or heard from his whole family again. <laughs> And I do know that my dad came back in and took care of business, and I never shot anyone with a, with a gun again. But I'll tell you what, I don't care how much of a spanking or correction that I got. I'd rather work with my dad because I knew my dad loved me. I knew my dad would take care of me. You don't want to deal with the world. You don't want accusations from people who don't love you. You don't want corrections from people who don't love you. But we have a loving father who he may, there may be some discipline and some correction, but I promise He'll take care of you. We said love protects publicly. Number two is love corrects privately. You can write that down. Love corrects privately. What did Jesus say? He said, neither do I condemn you. This is the relationship. The first one was between you and them. This one's between you and him, between you and God. John 8, 10, he says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. He said, neither do I condemn you. The word condemn is translated condemn or damn it's d-e-m-n condemn or condemn it's to damn someone it's to condemn someone it's to make a judgment on them when you have a condemned building right you're saying there's not hope for it let's not try to paint it and fix it up it's condemned jesus said i don't condemn you i'm not gonna talk to you that way why? Because I have hope for you. He corrects. He doesn't condemn. Correction is like a course correction, like guardrails on a freeway. It makes sure that if you start to veer off, you're not going to go into oncoming traffic. You're going to hit the wall. Why? Because you had a course correction. It's to guide you back on track. Correction is not for long-term damage. It can sting you, but it's to keep you going. It's to keep you in the game. To condemn is to call down, to damn, like a condemned building. Correct is to call up. It's to give things to you for improvement. Here's how you can improve. God doesn't condemn us. He corrects us. Can somebody say, thank you, Lord? Come on, just say, God doesn't condemn you. He corrects you. He gives you another shot. He said, neither do I condemn you. Listen to the tenderness you can hear in Jesus' voice. Woman, where are these accusers of yours? There's no one, Lord. He said, well. Neither do I condemn you. I'm not here to call you out. I'm not here to make a statement about you in front of people. I love you. Go and sin no more. Romans 8, 1, it says, there's therefore now, listen, no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you're feeling condemned, it's not because of God. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is a damnatory sentence or verdict. It's a statement about you that says you're done. Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, listen, he corrects. God corrects you, he doesn't condemn you. Corrects, not condemns. Correct, of course, correction. Correct is for not long-term damage, but for a sting. I remember when I was driving, some of you, you might have a teenage driver, or you might be a teenage driver, but I remember when I was driving, and, uh, and I would drive along, and I would feel like, I got this, you know? I got this. I'm driving along, and then I'll speed, and I'll go fast, and I'll change lanes, and I'll, you know, not wear my seatbelt, and I'll just kind of be a little bit prideful about it. And all of a sudden, what will happen? Boo! The police officer pulls me over. Right? (laughs) Hello, officer. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Can I see your license and ID? Officer, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have. Can I see your license? You know, can I see your license and insurance? And you pull those registration insurance. You pull it out. And you feel so. And then then you, if you hadn't prayed all week, you prayed right there. Oh, dear Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I give my whole life to you, Jesus. (laughs) Love. I love you. All these bad decisions, God, just get me off this ticket. Please, please, God, please, God, right? And But what does it do? After you get done with the ticket and he writes you a ticket and you, you go, you slow down. That ticket may have saved your life. Yeah, it cost you a little bit. It stung. It hurt. But it saved your life. We don't like the correction of the Lord sometimes. But can I tell you, the correction of the Lord will sometimes save your life oftentimes will save your life. The correction of the Lord. Don't run from the correction of the Lord. Run to the correction of the Lord. I pray, if not every day, I pray, try to pray often every other day. I say a prayer like this. I say, God, if I'm off in something, correct me. Tell me. Don't let me, Lord, find out later on when I'm way down the road. God, correct me. I want to make right decisions. For, for me, for my family, for this church, Lord, I want to make right decisions. Correct me. Help me. I love your correction. I need your correction. Why? Because correction keeps you going in the right path. Don't run from correction. That's what fools do. Run to correction. God's correction is always to help you. Number three, love directs personally. Love directs personally. He said to him, go and sin no more. See, the first one... The first thing is that he protects you publicly. That's between your relationship between you and them. The second one was that God um, corrects privately. That's the relationship between you and me, between you and God. But then he directs personally. That's the relationship between you and you. Between the decisions that you make and what you really are, are thinking about and carrying out. And doing in your life. The decisions between you and you. He called it sin. I want you to notice he said go and sin no more. He called it sin. He wasn't overlooking sin. He wasn't compromising sin. He called it sin. But can I tell you she already knew it was sin. He didn't need to sit there and convince her. People who are in sin usually know they're in sin. People who are going through things usually already know they're going through things, right? It doesn't help us to come and point out and say, do you know that such and such? And they're like, what do you think, I'm an idiot? Of course I know I'm dealing with things. 
People who are already, in fact, sometimes the reason why they come around you is because they're trying to figure out how to reconcile what they're going through with God. And the, the easiest thing for us to do is just to be able to go, don't you know the Bible says this? And they go, that's what I figured you'd say. Have a nice life. It's not what Jesus did. He said, where are your accusers? And then he said, listen, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. And this is the third part. He directs personally. He called it sin, but she already knew it. He spoke to who she was called to be, not to what she was doing. He spoke to what she was called to be. When God speaks to me and I go off course, he speaks to who I am, not what I'm doing. He says, that's not you, son. When God calls people and talks to people personally, one-on-one -on -one in private conversations, he tells them how much he believes in them and what he's called them to. This was a decision that she would have to make. It's between you and you. Psalm 1611, it says, for you will show me, it's one of my favorite verses, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures forevermore. What is he saying? God, I love being around you. Why? Because you show me where to go. You direct me. You correct me. You lead me. God points you in the right direction and then you walk it out. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not him who pointed us out, called us out. And they go, oh, now I know. Thank you. No. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. God loves to jump on our side and help us to win. So what's the application of this? Very quickly. What is our approach to sin? We love people. What's our approach to sin? We love people. What do you think about this kind of people? We love them. What do you think about people who are doing this? We love them. The Bible says, for God so loved who? Those who had it all together? No, those who were sinners. Not only those who were labeled sinners, those who were sinning. That's who Christ died for. So what's our approach? We love people. What people? Every person. We love every person. Through, and it's these three things. Number one, we protect publicly. We don't feel obligated to make public statements about people. Call people, call out people groups. Call out people that we don't agree with. Call out people that the, the word of God doesn't agree with. We don't feel compelled to have to make public statements about that. Remember, we're not just talking about sin. We're talking about people. We're not just talking about struggles that they have. We're talking about people. It says in John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God's heart is to save the person. When we see someone struggling with something, our heart should be to save them to help them, to heal them, to love them, to serve them, to show them Jesus, because you're the only Jesus they'll ever see. And if they come into church and we condemn them, we can never reach them. We can never help them to win. 
in their lives. Number two, we have a loving, honest, private conversation with people. Loving, honest, private conversation with people. Listen to this. Cancer is easy to eliminate. But what's tricky about it is when the cancer's attached to a person. Cancer is easy to eliminate. You can just go radiate it and knock it out. But when it's attached to a person, you want to keep the person alive. Remove the cancer. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God could have eliminated sin immediately. But he would have had to eliminate people. And he waited hundreds of years so that he could save the people and eradicate the sin. It's more tricky. It takes more time. It takes more patience. And that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to watch a lot of people be freed from sin. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To free people. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. To free people. So number one, how do we, what's our approach to sin? We protect publicly. It's easy to blast and call out sin, but it's tricky when it's attached to a person. We can publicly label and call out sin and lose the person forever. Number two, we have loving, honest, private conversations with people. People first need to know that Jesus loves them and that you love them. You have to love them before you could lead them. People won't let you lead them until they know you love them. Jesus loved them. God demonstrates his own love. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're all sinners. It's not sins that are holding us back. It's the sin of not knowing Jesus. So let's bring people back to the heart of God. And then number three, we, we partner with people personally. We partner with people personally. We bring people to Jesus and the truth of his word. We bring people back to Jesus and the truth of his word. John 8.32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You can't be set free unless you know the truth of God's word, what God's word wants. But people will never let you bring them to God's word until they know that God loves them, that Jesus loves them, and that you're safe. We don't condone sin, but we love people. Romans 8.37 says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.